Welcome to the Tea with Tamara podcast. I'm Tamara Arnold. And it wasn't that long ago that I was a broke single mom drinking way too much, completely detached from everything. Now I've written multiple books, downloaded I Could Read Chakras, and I'm a channel for the universe. I'm a real person with real stories, and I can't wait to share them with you. So grab a warm bevy and let's have some enlightened conversation to live our best life. Oh my goodness, you guys, I am so excited to tr- to share Trisha Brooke with you on today's podcast. She's an award-winning director, writer, speaker, and the executive producer of TEDx Lincoln Square, New York. She has a podcast of her own, The Big Talk, and she is genuinely the nicest and most sincere person I have ever met. She helps you craft your story, get up on stage, and literally change the lives of others. This hour changed my life and I cannot wait to share her with you. Hey everyone, I am so excited for my second live Tea with Tamara conversation with someone who I absolutely adored from the minute my vibration met her vibration. I was just like, yay, I love you because that's what my vibration talks like. And so I am so excited to have here for you guys, Trisha Brooke. And um, Trisha, I really want to just allow you a moment here to like the the, I think where I'm going to start my conversations is if you can tell a little bit about um, who you are, but if you can tell it in this in the sense of where you came from. And then if there was a moment in your life where things shifted for you and you could see things in a different way, I would love to start there. Wow. Thank you so much, Tamara, for having me on. I love being able to have tea with you right now. And I'm super excited to revisit our connection and our vibration because I wouldn't, um, I couldn't agree more that when we first met, there was just something that was so authentically connected. And so I'm super excited to have this opportunity to spend an hour talking with you. Thank you for having me. Yay. In terms of where I came from, I am from Missouri, and I literally moved (laughs) to New York City to pursue a career in classical dance. And my journey has been about giving the gift of changing the world through performance. My entire life has been about impacting the world, getting an audience to, to be moved, getting an audience to feel. And that journey took me into my career as a dancer in New York City. I traveled all over the world, performing on all over, all over stages, all over the country, all over the world. When I was ready to move on to go behind the scenes and to then help other people tell their story and help other people move audiences, I began to write and direct and make films. That was a very organic, natural transition for me because the power of helping other people share stories was equally as fulfilling for me as actually being on a stage myself. What was amazing about it was I got to then become the maternal creator behind other people's messages. And I realized I was really good at it. So there was a natural transition and organic progression then into working with people who have big messages who want to talk from stage. I worked with Petra Kolber on her TEDx. She decided she wanted to do a TEDx in order to increase her credibility as a speaker. And she'd seen my work. So she said, I think I need to hire you to direct my TEDx. And I thought, great, it'll be just like a one woman show. I'll dramaturg the script. I'll work with you like I do any other actor. And I thought that would be it. She planted the seed that I should really keep doing this because my approach from the theatrical and the filmmaking and the showbiz point of view was very unique and it was unlike coaching. And I thought, well, that's interesting because I do like working with people who have really important messages to share. So why don't I give this a try? And I started the big talk. And all of a sudden, I had all these amazing human beings coming to me with incredible messages that they needed to share from a stage and no place to put them. 
So I realized, okay, what do I do? I'm a theater producer. I know how to put on a show. So what's the next obvious step? Become a TEDx organizer. So I did. And I produced two TEDx events in New York City called TEDx Lincoln Square. And it was an amazing opportunity for me to marry my theater background with my TEDx license. So I created and produced what I call theatrical academia. And it gave me... (laughs) Sorry, that's nice. (laughs) Sexy, right? So, and then I was able to give these speakers an opportunity to share their message while at the same time entertaining the audience with all of my contacts and friends who are Broadway actors and singers. Then... This last, this last year, I decided I needed to go bigger. And so I've created a new speaking event in New York City called Speakers Who Dare, along with my co-producer, Jamie Broderick. We've moved from TEDx Lincoln Square into a new, global, innovative, game-changing speaker event called Speakers Who Dare. So that's where I came from. That's like, okay, there's so many things that I want to talk to you about everything that you just said. I was like, and then, and then I was like, cause, oh man, I can feel how you feel. Like, even when you said like, you like to, to be on the stage because you love to feel like how what you're doing impacts other people. And then even when you were talking about being maternal and seeing, you know, the, the people that you're working with create that experience for themselves on stage, like there's magic in you and I kind of want to touch on it like where there's part of me. It's like, that's, that's a gift that not everybody has. Trisha. Right. Thank you. I think it is definitely a gift and one that I take seriously and one that I hold a, a deep respect for. And one, and, and like you, you as somebody who understands vibration and somebody who channels, we all have a gift. And when we can embrace that gift fully and trust that we've been given the gift for a reason, but also respect, we must respect the gifts we're given. That is paramount. We cannot take them for granted and we, we must never lose respect for them. And it's at that point that you understand your impact and what you're supposed to be doing in the world. Sorry, I had, I'm, I'm a bit of a book nerd, so I just went to like Spider-Man, sorry, and like the grant, like the grant with great gifts comes great responsibility in a way, comes up because my husband has comic book subscription and things like that. Um, but I really want to actually go back back because your story to me really begins when you were in Missouri and decided to leave Missouri to go and like follow your dreams of being a dancer, which I didn't know, which was really, really cool to learn about you as well. How old were you when you decided to, to chase your dream, to go after your dream? I was out of the womb. I knew what I wanted to do the second I was born. I have been lucky in that way. People struggle with not knowing what they want to do and Mm -hmm. it slows them down. I always knew what I wanted. I always knew I was going to be a performer. I always knew I was going to pursue a career in dance. And that path led me to where I am right now because I said yes to almost everything. I left Missouri when I was 16 to go to school. I studied dance at a conservatory, small woman's college in Columbia, Missouri. It was a three-year program, and I knew that I wanted to do an accelerated program so I could get my butt to New York and start a professional career. So I went to school for three years and two summers straight in order to start my career. And I moved to New York City when I was 20 years old, didn't know anybody, got myself a a job waiting tables, and realized very quickly that I was not interested in waiting tables (laughs) (laughs) and that I wanted to make money and still be an artist. Well, those two things don't really go together. However, I had no interest in being a starving artist. So it was in 1993 when I created my first business. So I became an entrepreneur in 1993. I started a fitness company. What? How old were you then? I'm not going to tell you how old I was. People start doing the math. (laughs) (laughs) But I was, I was young. Powerful thing to say. Like, you know, I started my first business when I was you know, this age, because I don't think a lot of people give them some credit that they can do the same thing. I was 23 when I started my first business. And the reason I started it was because I, A, did not want to be poor. I wanted to have enough money to 
buy cute shoes as we do mm-hmm. and also take myself out to dinner. But then I also realized if I go on the road, I want to still be have, I, I, I want there still to ha- be an income stream. So that's when I decided to create the fitness company with consultants. So my trainers were still working out my clients while I was on the road performing in Paris opera houses or, you know, dancing all over the world. So that's something that I did early on in my career in order to sustain my ability to be a creator, performer, a filmmaker, a writer, a director, and that business still exists. Seriously, that's what an incredible story. Like what a powerful story. Um, Gosh, your drive is fantastic. And it's funny because in my second podcast, I talked about Stardust and like either we receive it one of two ways, like our, our soul's calling, our mission. You can wake up and you, you're born with it. It's a creative, right? So it's the arts or it's music or it's dance or it's sport or it's something. And we have the opportunity to immediately latch on to that because somebody along the way is fostering it and they're supporting it and they're doing what they can because they see that light in you to bring that gift forward. Did you have that support right away? Cause you came out already knowing what your stardust was and, and like knew you were pinpricked on that knowing and along the way, did you have like the backing? Did your parents say like, yes. And they, and they supported what you were doing and you had all of that, that momentum behind you. My parents didn't understand this was a career until I did a one-woman show in New York City, which was the end of my career as a performer. What? So 2006, I was ready to wrap up being a dancer and go on to the other side because I was just tired of warming up. I had two knee surgeries, a foot surgery. You know, dance is not easy. So they came to New York to see the one-woman show, the dance show that I did. And it was at that point they realized I was serious about my career. That was almost 20 years later. <laughs> yep. So, yep. you know, sometimes it's hard for the parents to understand what one does. But my, my dance teacher, the woman who taught me dance from when I was seven years old, she was always a support and has continued to come to New York to see every show I've ever been in every show now that I've ever directed, everything I ever do. She's somebody who I think gave me the support and the confidence that enabled me to not ever get beat down by the hundreds of no's of living in New York City as a performer. I just got shivers, by the way, when you mentioned her. It was like a share the connection. Sharon McGuire. She's an incredible woman and mentor and friend and I, I adore her. So you are born into this beautiful gift. You know that it's your soul's calling. You have this beautiful support of your, your dancer, but you didn't necessarily have the support of your, your parents, but you, what, like what self motivated you to continuously find that, that vibrational light of you just doing this work and never get deterred? Was it desire? Was it like, what kept you on that path? No matter what. It's bigger than me. It's always been bigger than me. I loved performing. I still love performing. I do it sometimes with my speakers. If I want them to understand how I need them to express something, I'll get on stage and show them a tiny hint of what I look like as a performer. I had an incredibly successful career. I had tons of great reviews. I, was, I knew how to own an audience. So that was something that was innate in me, and that gave me the drive. That gave me the 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 will to fail. I had no, no care in the word, world about failing. Who cares? But you just try again. And I often say, if you can't get through that door, build your own damn door. As a female director, there's a lot of doors I knock on. So I just decided to start my own production company and make my own films. I love you so much. <laughs> you don't even know. And I love that you make it seem like, and, and it's true because it is easy and we make it difficult, but like you just make everything sound so seamless and so easy. It's like, yeah, well, if that's not going to happen, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to create the way or the, you know, the path that's going to allow me to do the thing that I want to do if it doesn't already exist. And so like, I have to ask now that you've said that you have, you know, the, 
workout business and now you have the production business. How many businesses do you have? Well, my fitness company is a well-oiled machine and I have an assistant who works with all the trainers on all the scheduling. So I I keep my eye on it, but I really, that is a well-oiled machine that has been running efficiently for many, many years. The big talk is my public speaking, my speaker salon, the art of the big talk, and also the production company, which produces documentaries on people who are doing amazing things. So the big talk is really my other second. I only really have two companies. um, And the big talk is all about how to put people on a big stage or the big screen. And I know a lot of people who have gone through the big talk and absolutely adore working with you and have had completely mind-blowing shifts in terms of what they are able to, to come to terms with about themselves and how they portray that. Out of curiosity, when you're working with somebody and you are, you know, helping them guide where it is that they want to talk and what they're, they're meant to do, do you have something that you innately know? Is it something that you just kind of like draw out of them? Like, how do you work with them in order to figure out what it is that they're meant to be talking about on stage? Because they must come with a lot of options to choose from. Some people come with a lot of options and some people come with no options. And both of those can cause paralysis. What I do really well is listen. And that's how we get to their idea. I ask them tons of questions and I listen and I can translate what they're saying and reflect back on them into a new way. And that's how we get to that beautiful transformative idea. I'm just curious because like when I'm talking to somebody and uh, we land on the thing that they can step forward with in their business or in their life, I I feel it as if a a vibrational shift has occurred. It's almost like I see like a, a pulse occur and it's like their energy is like ooh, like this is a nice (laughs) like thing to talk about here do you get any physical or anything like that just curious (laughs) if it's or you just kind of allow them to say whoa that's something that that feels right to talk about what usually happens is they'll say something to me and i will reframe it with how i hear it And that is what triggers them into realizing that's the idea. And I'll give you a specific example. Kristen Smedley, my first speaker, she'd been talking for 16 years about retinal disease because two of her three children were born blind with this very rare eye disease. She started a foundation. She was an expert on the topic. She was a a, um, seasoned speaker on the topic. She came to me and said, I want to do a TEDx. I was not yet an organizer. And I said, awesome. I'm so happy you're putting this out into the universe. Let's do it. After our first active listening session, and that's how I spend the first two hours with any client, actively listening. I said, Kristen, your talk is not about rare eye disease. It's how you learned to see the world differently through the eyes of your children. Wow. What a beautiful reframe. So it became global. If I don't have children and if I don't have blind children, I can still relate to her message because we can all choose to see the world through other people's eyes and be changed by that. So how, how long have you been doing the speaker work with all of these, these people? Three years. Three years. How many stories have you come across that just absolutely blew your mind? Most of the stories I've come across blow my mind because I, we talked about this before we began the interview. I only want to work with people who authentically want to make a difference in the world. And if you come to me and say, I want to be famous by doing a TED Talk, I won't work with you because that's not interesting to me. If you come to me and you say, I need to talk about animal cruelty and why being a vegan is important, I will, I will listen. If you come to me and you say, I need to talk about why tuning in and paying attention can change your life, I'll, I'll have a conversation with you. If you come to me and say, I want to talk about why zip codes are important, I will, I will have a conversation with you. And the reason why is because if you're living on this side of the zip code, If you're living at 10019 and you have privilege, 
And right next door is 10020. And those people don't get the same privilege of public schools as you based on where they live. That is something I want to ha help you talk about. I mean, I could just listen to you talk about people talking all day because you have a way to even when you're talking about what you do share the story that invites me and i know my listeners in with you and i find it really powerful and i have to say this is that you are so clear and confident in working with people that you align with right and i know that that's sometimes a really challenging thing for people uh, when they're going into any type of business and they're struggling and they're thinking about you know i just need to make ends meet and, and do whatever and i'm going to take whatever client or whatever person is coming my way you never had any of these thoughts it seems like from the time that you started your businesses right like if i were to go back into your fitness or even your dancing were you taking things on that you just need felt you needed to or have you just always stood so so sincerely in your truth i can't help but not stand in my truth and that is a gift it has prevented me from having any drama in my life. I am not a drama person. I don't attract drama. And that really comes from when I'm directing a show, I need to have actors in my room who have the same goal, which is to have the best performance possible, which is to go deep. And going deep means being safe. If you can't be safe, if you don't feel safe, it's impossible for you to go deep as an actor or as a speaker. So yes, I stand fully in my truth and I expect everyone else to in the room with me. And that comes from creating a safe space for anybody I'm with. And that is a very powerful statement because I think that it's a, a life statement, right? Because even when we're talking about uh, sharing what it is that we do in life with anyone, that vulnerability, that you know, opening ourselves up to be fully seen requires a container, if you will, of, of that safety. And I mean, guys, can you not just hear it in Trisha's voice? Like, because I hear it in your, your very being emanating. No wonder I got such a good vibe off of you at the start. <laughs> there was something that we talked about, and I don't know if we touched on it here, because it was, it was in February that you and I talked, and it was very, very quick, and it was just like one of those conversations and um and i'm hoping that i can trigger the memory of what it is that you were doing and it might be a show like a theater production that you were putting on that because like i was telling you that you know about my son and how he had mental illness and moms and things like that w what was the connection there that i just felt that absolutely i wrote a show called committed and it's about mental illness it's a musical and i wrote a very funny musical a year earlier and it was very successful it was produced in new york and i thought i'm gonna write another funny show about crazy people and then i quickly realized i had a huge responsibility to get this right and to serve an audience and to destigmatize mental illness so where i would like to say yes i am an advocate for mental illness i wasn't i was just trying to write a funny show right what changed for me is that I realized I had a massive responsibility to serve and to communicate and to destigmatize a population that is suffering. When people has, have cancer, you, you ask how you can help. When people say I have bipolar disorder, you judge them. That's not okay. So by creating and writing committed in musical form through entertainment, song and dance, I had an opportunity to teach people they're not alone and to also share stories of eight different people's struggle. So we're talking depression, anxiety, bipolar, auditory hallucination, dissociative identity disorder, Asperger's. Each of these characters have their own mental health issue. And I, I created it specifically for that so that I could have a wider reach. So anybody who's watching the show can say, now I know why my sister is feeling this way. Now I know I feel this way. Now I understand my mother a little bit better. And you know what? We're not alone. 
that was really important to me. So you had never been touched by somebody who had mental illness prior to writing this show, but again, because you were such a grounding person, it became something really important to you while you were writing. How long does it take? So random questions come to me from the time you decide to write this show, right? And then you begin writing it. You take on that, like, oh my goodness, this is, this is bigger than me again. Cause I feel like you get a little guidance given to you here, Trisha Brooke. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, I'll own that. <laughs> And so uh, you get the guy like to do this and you step into it. I, I honestly don't think that there is someone better who could have been given such a, a, a responsibility with this show because you take authenticity and sincerity and, you know, the voice of people and feeling so like it's so important to you. So to be able to take that and then recreate it in a way that everybody could touch and nobody would be offended is, is a beautiful thing. Thank you. Way, sorry, go ahead. That process was pretty quick. And that's something I can share with you and your listeners is I am a prolific writer. If I get an idea, I can turn it into a fully realized something in a matter of weeks. Um, and I'm very lucky that way. I do feel very lucky and blessed that way. So I had the idea. I started doing the research. And I think the research is what took the most time because I wanted to fully flesh out each individual disorder so that I understood the disorder and I could write the character, write the character's point of view through that disorder. So for example, Penny. Penny commits suicide and committed. And I, I went there. And it was important for me to understand the depths of depression, so much so that I could really wrap my head around her, her voice, why she spoke the way she did. I also did a lot of research on what happens to people right before they make the decision to take their own life and what leads up to that, because I wanted the audience to understand if somebody in your life is struggling with depression, they may not say they want to end their life, but there are signs and you need to be aware of those signs. And that's something that I needed to include in the show, again, to create awareness and to destigmatize this so people will talk about it. So I, I did a lot of research on the illnesses. And then I put together packets for all of my, for all of my actors so that they could, they could do all the research themselves on their illnesses once I cast the show. But really, I sat down and I wrote the musical. We did a table read of it with actors. I realized what wasn't working, what needed to go. I got feedback from people I trust. Did another rewrite, and then I brought in my musical director and my composer and lyricist so he could write songs and musicalize the show. I think we did another table read with music, and then I decided to produce it myself. And I produced the show in, I think I produced the show in February of 2014 mm -hmm. and totally sold out, huge hit. And it, you invite producers from off-Broadway, you hope people come, but it's really, for me, it's about the experience with the actors and mm -hmm. it's about the experience, experience of giving the audience this beautiful gift of Committed. So in February, when we met, I decided to, I decided I wanted to revisit these characters again. And also, I love the actors in this show. So I sent out an email and said, hey guys, if I produce the show again, you want to join me? Everybody said yes. So that is what was happening in February. The show was being produced again at the New York, the New York uh, Theater Festival. Yeah, so I don't, I don't even know if we touched on how, like even... I just love that spirit. So this was now because even going and talking about that particular story, Trisha, because both my mom and my son have tried to commit suicide, right? So you going into the depth of telling that story the way that you did right there, right now is a gift for me. So I just want to like tell you that right now. So thank you. Um, going back into getting into bringing back plays, how many plays have you created since you started all of this? I wanted to just, I wanted to just, I, we could see each other. For those of you listening, tomorrow and I can see each other. So I just wanted to give you my attention for a moment before we move on. So that's what I'm doing. 
I have written um, two musicals, a sitcom pilot, a few one woman shows and a few Ted talks. And going back to the impact that we have when we're honest and when we go to a place that's painful, um, just Tamara sharing us, sharing with us right now, her experience and direct relationship to suicide. When you give yourself permission to talk about something that's painful from a stage, whether it's a character, whether it's your big talk, whether it's um, a film, you're, you're, you're giving an opportunity to help other people. And that's why it's so important to be able to talk from the, from the heart and from the place of vulnerability. Who, who cares if anybody judges you? Who cares? It's time to start talking about real things. It's time to start talking about things in real ways without color coding, without candy putting, I don't even know what I'm saying. It's, it's really important. Candy coding. I know what you're saying. Thank you. Thank you. Candy coating. <laughs> Sugar coating, any of it. Sugar. No more candy apples. <laughs> it's really important to be vulnerable, to be honest, because at that point, the one person that needs to hear what you're talking about will, and you will change or save their life. I want to say repray. It's something that I say when somebody says something instead of all men, it's like, I repray that. Like I am totally saying what you're saying and sending it back out again with my energy. And so I'm repraying it. And just to tell you a little bit about why, like even mental illnesses, like I want to change the, the stigma as well. I just happened to wear this shirt today, which I just had made and it says choose love. And, um, Mental illness is such a key component to me that these will be on sale. So the proceeds will actually go towards mental illness because it's such a hugely um, important conversation that people are not having and are affecting so many people. And it doesn't just affect the people. And I, I just have to say that. So if anyone's listening, it doesn't just affect the people that are suffering. It affects every single person in their life, whether they're partners, kids, parents, anything like that. And so I honor you for taking that on and, and being the voice for um, all of us that, you know, went through or were touched by it in any way, shape or form. Thank you. And um, I want to go back to uh, something else. Right. Which is I know that you have been doing the big talk now for three years. Right. Where in that process did you decide that you wanted to take it into the platform of, of like your own podcast with that as well? So now you weren't just affecting people in the theatrical way, right? Getting them on stage, but like you, you really are, are touching as many lives as you possibly can in, in a lot of different ways. So when did that kind of spark or get birthed? The podcast came about because I had zero online presence. I had zero credibility in terms of directing public speakers. So I was on a call with John Lee Dumas. <laughs> he said, you should do a podcast. And by on a call, I mean, he was a guest VIP in Jamie Broderick's network. And she's my co-producer for TEDx Lincoln Square and for uh, Speakers Who Dare. So she invited me to that call and I said, I don't know. I'm not on Facebook. I, uh, he said, just do three episodes of a podcast and it'll tell people what you do. It'll teach them. So over 200 episodes later, what I love about it is being able to talk to people and being able to get their point of view and hear from them. That's what I love so much. Um, so I started the big talk before I had any clients. That was the, really the first thing I did. So again, you amaze me in, in everything. So I'm going to ask a question that I'm, I'm guessing people will want to know because I want to know. And that is from the time you get an idea to the time you take action on it, what's the in-between that, Patricia? Not a whole lot. And the reason is because if I can't figure it out, I'll, I'll figure it out along the way. And if I make a mistake, I'll fix it. So there's not a whole lot of I have to spend months preparing and making sure it's perfect. No, who has time for that? Let's just go for it. And, you know, when I decided to do the podcast, I listened to other people's podcasts, stole what was good, chose not to do what was bad, 
And I tell speakers to do the same thing. Watch other speakers. Take from them what's good and steal from them and don't do what they're doing that's bad. And so I decided I'm going to just create 20 podcasts episodes the first season and I'll teach people my my method my 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 practice my my process and realize this is pretty fun it was a whole new medium for me I'd been on camera but I'd not been in front of a microphone like this so I realized I think this is going to be something I keep doing because it gives my audience an opportunity to keep learning and to keep progressing and that's what's really important if I can continue to help people become fearless have the courage to say what they need to say, how they need to say it, their lives will change. They'll become better people. Not only will they help others, they will become better people. And with that, they become better mothers, better partners, better bosses. That is what I want to do. I, I say that I am going to create world peace with the big talk, and I'm not joking. I believe anything that you say. I just want you to know that. <laughs> Everything you say, I'm like, yes. But uh, to me, it's really powerful because um, I always say that growing up around mental illness, I had to really watch what I said because when you are saying things uh, and it could affect somebody's mood, even if you're in a positive mindset, um, you start to like hold back your voice. And then, you know, when you have a child with mental illness, you don't tell people how bad things are. So like to me, I'm hearing you talk and all I'm hearing is like, oh my goodness, she gives people their voices back. Like, and, uh, like, I want to celebrate that as a gift that you also have, because I'm all about stardust. And let me tell you, yours is shining bright right now. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I do want to ask, because this is more curiosity for me. I don't really, again, because it's my second podcast, I'm learning as I go. And so I've sent out questions to the guests as they're coming. And I didn't know what I was going to be asking, but I knew I wanted to touch on spirituality as a whole when I'm, when I'm having conversations with people, because I truly believe that when we have faith, we have the capacity not to worry about what other people are thinking and to make decisions a lot faster and to, you know, be tapped into something greater as a source of our motivation or drive and, and our approval, if you will, because God's always smiling on us and <laughs> saying, you're doing great. Um, tell me a little bit about, because I don't know a lot about Buddhism. And when I read that you were Buddhist, I was very excited because I, since you wrote that, Somebody else commented on my Facebook, um, and I'll tell you the story, and maybe you can tie this in, because I just started a Facebook ad campaign, and I got a lot of haters, right? About what? Well, because I say I help um, women with spiritual, six-figure entrepreneurs with spiritual gifts stand in their status and shine, right? So I'm using my voice to give people who have the capacity to have intuition for sight, for, you know, clairsentient, whatever, empaths, all of these people who we've been, our voices have been taken away because, you know, talking about the name of your play, people often think that we need to be committed uh, when we start to share, like, oh, I hear a voice that guides me or things like that. And so I had made this post about um, the work that I had to do within myself to realize that, you know, these were not directed at me. They were um, just conversate like and so somebody said in Buddhism are the haters are our greatest teachers because they're the ones that reflect kind of like what we have to learn about ourselves. So where did this all come into play for you? I think of my, my connection to Buddhism and being Buddhist about mindfulness and kindness and understanding that we create our own suffering. So when you can detach from something that's happening, you eliminate your suffering. When we bear down, oh, I wish I got that job. Oh, I wish I did better. Oh, I wish I didn't say that. That creates suffering. and when you can understand that you're just in the moment and what's happening is what's happening, that's the way I live my life as a Buddhist. And I'm not always a good Buddhist. Sometimes, I mean, I tell my husband, I'm impatient. I'm a terrible Buddhist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not being, a, I'm not doing well right now. Um, but really for me, it's about kindness, understanding what we do to create our own suffering and being mindful in the world. And I just finished Picture Lock on a new documentary about the chaplain at Rikers Island who's a Buddhist who's teaching meditation to the corrections officers. 
And the title, I was struggling with the title, Tamar. I couldn't, I, the titles always come to me from the goddess or whomever. Yep. And so I was just waiting for the title to come to me and I'm going through and final, doing a finalized edits. And I realized the title, it's Right Livelihood, A Journey to Now. And that title is all about when we align with who we are and the work we do, that's called right livelihood in Buddhism. And he says this, he's living in right livelihood. He is teaching corrections officers and soon to be inmates meditation in order to give them a place to hold the violence. He's living in right livelihood. So that is how I feel and see and live my life as a Buddhist. And did you, like, were your parents Buddhist? Like, yeah, just curiosity. <laughs> like, no, no. You, you came into it at some point in your life. Well, I, I was not raised with any religion. So I didn't know who um, Moses or Abraham, I didn't know these Mary, I didn't know who these people were from literature. And I actually took a course in college about the Old Testament so I could learn a little bit about the history <laughs> of God. Mm -hmm. and, um, and what's amazing is I have two speakers in my life now. One is, she refers to herself as an uber Catholic, and the other one is a rabbi. So I have welcomed and created this world of spirituality that is so amazing. From somebody who had zero religion in her upbringing, who is Buddhist, it's just like, welcome to the party. Every, everybody in the pool, we're all welcome here. Um, so I grew up knowing I had a spiritual essence, not knowing what it was, and really connected deeply with Buddhism because of the way of living. Mindfulness, kindness, being, being nice to people. It's really that simple. Just be nice to people. <laughs> You're going to, you'll appreciate this, I think. So I am, um, you know, a Claire sentient channel, like I can tap into all sorts of different, and I believe spirituality as a whole, like is a beautiful thing, right? But I was in, Baptist have like confirmed Anglican and then, you know, didn't remember anything because I had daddy issues. So like, I totally didn't want to associate to any God because he had a male significance and so I turned off yeah. everything and then it was only three years ago that I was kind of like I had call it my awakening came back into everything and my daughter it her, her husband uh, my ex it, like we were never married my ex-partner is an atheist mm -hmm. right so she goes back and forth week to week from an atheist to my house <laughs> so this is the way that I defined it for her, right? It's there's two types of people in the world, and this is the most simplistic thing you guys will ever hear, because uh, I, I choose simple in life. Uh, it is either those who believe or those who don't believe, and those who believe are really nice, and they help each other out, and they lift each other up, and they want to, you know, see everybody succeed. And to me, that represents this beautiful community of spirituality, like you're saying, the rabbi, the Buddhist, the Anglican, the Catholic, the everybody, right? It's just this, this all-knowing, beautiful energy of rising that we, we share with each other. And to me, it's, that's what being spiritual yeah. is. Absolutely. I am producing a new television series right now called The Big Talk Over Dinner. And it came to me because I was being invited to all of these networking events and all people were talking about was sales funnels and it was driving me crazy. Yep. So I decided to create The Big Talk Over Dinner where I invite five people to have dinner with me, a three course dinner that I pay for. And we talk about the hard things like politics, gender, immigration, race, marriage, and arts and entertainment, of course. And what's been amazing is that it's given me an opportunity, a platform to help teach mindfulness and differentiating, differentiating opinions while still being respectful of one another. So talking about a, a, an overall universal spirituality, putting all these people at a table with me and breaking bread does that. And I mean, there is no better time in on a global platform right now that that is needed on every level and i mean i'm not american i'm canadian but we're suffering the same things happening right now so i'm again letting you know like 
it is profound the work that you do in being able to receive the information and being the guide of creating the avenues that are shifting people and their thoughts and their perspectives and leading them in a way in such a grounded force like you you really are and so like if people are, are listening to you and they know that, that they have a story Trisha that is so much bigger than them right so much bigger than them and that it is uncomfortable and you know that because you work with people there is a discomfort in not telling it and not getting it out of them and I know we've talked about all of these different avenues that you do, the plays, the dinners, the things. What is the best facet for people to connect with you, to want to, you know, rise their story out of them? You can certainly find anything about me that you need to on my website, which is trishabrook.com. And you can also email me personally, trisha at trishabrook.com. Because you're a real person. <laughs> And so she just answers her real email, everybody, because one of the things I talk about is these, I want these to be real stories about real people doing real things in their life. But I do want to ask you, again, because every time we have a conversation here, you're touching on something else that you've just done, right? Like it just layers upon itself, in, if you will. It's like the big talk started as a podcast or did it start with you working with the people? You'd never had a client before it started. I intended to, but the podcast was about helping people understand what it is I do. Got you. So the podcast started and then the big talk, we started to work with, with the community speakers. of people, speakers, right? And then, you know, it layered on to, I know that you're doing the dinners. Is there any other, because now there's a big talk stage. The speaker salon is something that I added and that is, um, there's a fall and a spring speaker salon. And what I realized is that speakers need to get in front of bureaus. There are all these amazing speakers and they don't know how to get in front of bureaus. And it's the same thing with actors and agents. And I'm very familiar with that world. So I decided to create the speaker salon in New York City where I invite speakers to take my stage once a week for six weeks. And you're observing other speakers. You're also getting stage time. And at the end of that speaker salon, there's a showcase. And I invite the top speaker bureaus in New York City's thought leaders, influencers, people who can book my speakers and get them onto panels and events. So that's the other thing that I'm doing. I'm giving speakers an opportunity to get in front of the people who can book them onto stages. So because I, I have, when you say speaker like bureaus, I'm lost. I won't lie. Like, can you, can you give me a little bit more of like what that means? Like, in Sure. So for example, Michelle Obama belongs to a speaker bureau. They book her. <laughs> so is it like an agency? It's like an agent for speakers. Exactly. Okay. okay. Just because I was, I wasn't sure where that was, but I get it because yeah. I have great books. And so we want literary agents. If you are a speaker, you want a bureau to. Exactly. A speaker bureau. That's right. Beautiful. Absolutely. And so I like to ask a really like to me, because I'm an avid reader, like I'm not kidding when I say I'm a nerd, like I will spend every ounce of my time that I am not with a human being reading books. And I have, Two types of books that I read, they're either self-development books, usually based on spirituality, because that's my jam, or I am addicted to young adult fantasy novels. <laughs> so I know, very, very, very broad spectrum, but I do like everything in between. And the funny thing is, is as long as it's not real, if it covers any kind of reality based, like murder, death, anything, oh. I'm like, I'm out. Um, it's a fantasy. I'm reading to get out of reality. Exactly. And then and I'm reading to better my life. Those are the two things. I want to start a list for myself of books that my people are coming on and saying, Tamara, this book was a really influential book for me. I, and I'm going to like be writing these down for my future library. What book have you read that has like been one that has stayed with you, had an impact or, or like changed your life in any way? I love the art of racing in the rain. Never heard of this one. <laughs> Let me find out. The Art of Racing in the Rain is written by, I can't remember his name. It is told from the point of view of the family dog. <laughs> I love this. Okay. It is one of the most beautiful books I've ever read. And I'm just going to say to you, Tamara, and your listeners, the first 
four pages are hard. Don't put it down. Is it like crying hard? Like it's going to. Yes. Okay. So like for me, when I'm like, I don't want to read reality. And then in the first four pages, I'm going to be like, Trisha. (laughs) You're going to love it. I promise. It's, it's really worth it. It's one of the most beautiful books. I actually tried to option the book to, to write a musical about it, but Hollywood got to it before me. (laughs) And they wrote a, they wrote this. Hollywood has optioned it. Yes. So keep an eye out. I'm sure it's some, it's in the works, but it's a beautiful, beautiful book. The Art of Racing in the Ring. This is not a self, this is just like a a fiction book. Fiction, yeah, it's fiction. Mm. In terms of self-help, I love the book uh, Pitch Anything by Oren Claff. And the reason I love this book is that it will give you as a woman permission to pitch like a man. You know, I didn't even look at you and I felt your energy sit up really tall when you said that. Like, it was like for those, I was writing the name of the book and like, I could feel Trisha's like entire being like get really like proud and tall. And she, yes, so I enjoy, I will read it for that energetic response alone, just so awesome. you know. <laughs> um, is there anything else you want to leave with our listeners today? I mean, you have just imparted so much knowledge. I feel like a big gift bomb just detonated on all of us. So thank you. It's my pleasure. I think just piggybacking on what you said, Tamara, if you can't not talk about your idea, you must get on a big stage. And that, that is, if you're not, you're really robbing the world of your greatness, of your important value and worth. Repray. I'm going to end with that because it is the truth and it will give you, and I'm saying it from an author standpoint, but I know it's the speakers. It will give you a knowing, a confidence, a truth, a grounding. You will, you will be the person you were placed on this earth to be. And from everything that I've had this conversation, there's no better human on this land to do that work with than Trisha. So I highly recommend going to trishabrook.com and looking at the speaker salon, looking at working with her, because probably in 2019, this girl right here will be (laughs) reaching out to Trisha herself, because if I'm going to get on the stage, Trisha, you're the person who is going to uh, do the work with me to get me there. I welcome. I welcome you, Tamara. I'll get an interview, you guys. (laughs) I think I made it a little bit there, so... I love you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. And um, I can't wait to, to develop a, a relationship further with you. <laughs> Thank you for having tea with me, Tamara. All the time, anytime. All right, guys, have a magical day. And I can't wait to drop a magical Monday on you coming to the next Monday near you. Let's see. My husband